0: Welcome to the Beacon Church Podcast. Each week we post a sermon from our last Sunday service so you can catch up, review, or share with your friends. We pray as you listen to this week's episode, you're encouraged and equipped to love God, love people, grow in Christ, and serve the world. Amen. So, do you know know that feeling that you get when you accidentally club somebody in the head with a golf club? Uh, is that not a feeling that you guys have experienced before? Is this not a normal experience? I thought everybody... Uh, all right. Well, it's not a great feeling. Uh, I wouldn't throw it on your bucket list if this isn't something you've done in the past. But when I was a kid, my, uh, my dad got my mom a set of golf clubs so that they could go and golf together. And we uh, I have siblings, I have three siblings. We all went out on the front yard and we were testing out the new golf clubs. And when it came time for me, I, I don't know what happened, but somewhere... Uh, in my backswing, I just hit my dad right in the eyebrow, and I cut open, you know, head wounds, blood everywhere, it's gushing out, and everybody's like, you need to go to the hospital, you need to get the stitches and all of this, and my dad is just like, hard passed. I'm gonna throw a couple band-aids on it and take my chances, because my father happens to have an irrational fear of doctors, Uh, I mean like full on paranoia, like he steps into a doctor's office, he turns white in the face, like gonna pass out, like the blood dripping from his face, no problem. Stepping into a doctor's office, not going to work for him. So he just puts a couple of band-aids on it and uh, you know calls it a day because this irrational fear, it just kept him from wanting to go back into a doctor's office. Now, this irrational fear of doctors got him into a little bit of trouble uh, years later because he combined that irrational fear of doctors with a very unhealthy lifestyle. So he would just eat everything. Like, he finished out every day with a giant bowl of ice cream, and he, he travels a lot for work, and he would just be, like, pounding Hostess cupcakes while he was on the road. Uh, but, but nobody could tell. He, he looked pretty fit. He appeared to be in pretty good shape, and he never went to the doctor. So it just seemed like all was good. And then one day, my mom, being reasonable, said, you have to go to a doctor and get a checkup. So he went, and he got blood work, and I don't think he passed out, maybe. Uh, but he got his report back, and his cholesterol was, like, through the roof. He was, this whole time, he had been extremely unhealthy, and he had no idea. Because, of course, he was, he was measuring his health by the wrong measurements, by the wrong factors. And we're in this series called, uh, Then Sings My Soul. And in this series, we're looking at these these old hymns and songs, songs that Christians have been going back to for decades, even centuries, to find hope and encouragement from. And last week and this week, we're looking at this this hymn, Be Thou My Vision. that we just sang a few moments ago. This is the, just disclaimer, this is the second part of a two-part message. If you missed last week, I encourage you, go back, watch that. But last week, we, we talked about how when we sing this song, Be Thou My Vision, it reveals in us a a gap in our lives, a disconnect between what we we believe in our minds and what we believe in practice. We talked about uh, this distinction between cognitive beliefs and functional beliefs. Like, So in my mind, I believe that God is the best possible vision I could have in my life. But functionally, he's not... vision for my life, which is why I'm singing the song, God, I want you to be my vision, right? So there's this this gap between the two, and we want to close the gap. Another way of kind of thinking about these terms is a gap between our, our beliefs on the one hand and our behavior on the other hand. And we all experience this. We all experience gaps between things that we believe in our minds, but how we actually live looks different than what you think it would look like if we really believed the things that we believed in our minds and uh, last week we really focused on how there are ways that we can be comfortable with this gap. We can spin it in just a way to make ourselves feel okay with the fact that there is a gap between what we say we believe and what we functionally believe, how we believe and how we behave. And as painful as it is, we want to expose that because it is unhealthy, it's uncomfortable to expose it but it's good to expose it. Like it was uncomfortable when my father found out his cholesterol was high, but it was, a really, it was a gift for him to find that out because then he was equipped to be able to deal with it, to do something about it, to get healthy. And so as uncomfortable it is to come to terms with the fact that really there are gaps between what we believe and how we behave, we want to close this gap. And so we shouldn't try to hide it. We should confront it head on because that gives us the ability to actually close the gap. And today we're going to look at how we actually close the gap and, and we want to close this gap. We've been looking at Hebrews 11 and 12 and the writer of Hebrews, he, he says that we're running this race. All right, that, that rate, uh, faith, the life of faith is like running a race. And if you think about it, belief and behavior are the two legs that we run on. And so on the, the one hand, we have our behaviors, leg number one, leg number two, we have our beliefs. And if there is a gap between our beliefs and our behaviors, how far do you think I can go? Uh, Not very far, that was it. Uh, But imagine, imagine trying to run a race on these two legs and one leg is going in this direction, one leg is going in this direction, you're not gonna get very far. And here, the author of Hebrews, he's talking to a group of people that they, they've been believers for a, a period of time, all right? And he's calling them to run this race, but he's recognizing, and he actually uses his language in chapter two, that they're, they're drifting, all right? And so they have these, these beliefs, all right, and they're, they're here, but, but they're drifting away in their behavior. And so in, in, instead of them being able to run this race, they're kind of like limping along, dragging this leg, and if they want to be able to engage in this race, they gotta, they got to close the gap. they got to bring their beliefs and their behaviors in line so they can actually run this race marked out for them. And, and at one point, the, the writer of Hebrews, as he's talking to them, he, you can almost sense that he's, he's like, frustrated or disappointed. And it's really hard to judge tone in a text, and they didn't have emojis back then to kind of like throw in the Bible to like, oh, this is just, you know, sarcasm. But at one point in in the text, in in chapter 5, he says this to them. He says, though by this time you ought to be teachers. He says, right now, at this point, in your faith to them, you guys have been Christians for a long time. You should be teaching others. Like, you should be, you should be leading small groups and teaching discipleship classes and teaching Kids Quest or Ignite or Fusion, leading other people. He says, by now you should be teachers, but you still need somebody to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. He says, you need milk, not solid food. He's saying, here, guys, man, at this point in your faith, you should, be, you should be discipling people, you should be leading others, but here I am again, I'm spoon-feeding you the, the elementary truths. Because they started to drift away. And even though they had the, the right beliefs, They weren't living into those beliefs. And so they are just kind of limping along. And he, he comes to chapter 12 and he says, run. Close the gap. Bring these things together and run. This race marked out for you. But before he tells them to run, he tries to pump them up a little bit. He's a a good coach, all right? He wants them to be motivated for this run. It's a hard run. And so he starts by giving them some really, really helpful motivation. So my my dad, in order to deal with the cholesterol, it required like a whole lifestyle change. He had to like cut certain things out entirely. He had to uh, cut other things back. He had to put on new habits, start exercising, all of these things. Like his whole lifestyle had to change. And then he had to maintain that, and he has. He's effectively maintained that for the last 20 plus years because he found the proper motivation. And I wish I could say it was because he wanted more time with his kids or he wanted to see his grandkids, but I know the truth, he just didn't want to have to go back to the doctor. Uh, and so, but he found, he found the motivation to make the changes that he did. And, and here, the author of Hebrews, he knows if we're going to do this, we need to be motivated. Nobody's going to drag you on this race, kicking and screaming. This is a race only you can run. And you're only going to do it if you have proper motivation. And so he goes to Hebrews 11. We talked through Hebrews 11 last week. Uh, and, and there's all of these stories, one after another, these great heroes of the faith that were running. They ran hard. They ran this race, and they received that prize that awaited them. And he tells us what it was that were, was motivating them. He says they had this faith, but not just faith in general, but a specific faith. He says, without faith, it's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. All right, so this is what they believe, that he exists, all right, that, that's a no-brainer, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. The women and men of Hebrews 11 that ran hard, they ran not because they were making some sort of sacrifice, not because anybody was holding a gun to their head, but they believed there were rewards at the end of this race, real significant rewards, eternal rewards. And the New Testament is full of talk about how God is going to reward believers according to how they run this race. Can I be honest with you for just a moment? I do not understand how heavenly rewards work. I, I don't. I mean, like, I, I trust that. But I don't, I don't get how they work. Like, for me, I'm thinking, like, actually, I, I don't even deserve to be in heaven to begin with. How am I going to earn any rewards? Like, my best deeds are, like, filthy rags. And so I, I recognize even the rewards are grace. And, and, you know, at the same time, like, am I going to get to heaven and regret that I didn't get my rewards? I don't know if regret's a part of the heavenly experience. So there's a lot I don't understand about rewards. But here's one thing I do know. There are rewards in heaven for those who run this race well. So I don't need to understand, I trust the God who promised that he rewards us according to how we run this race. Eternal rewards, rewards that are never-ending, rewards that far uh, outshine anything we could imagine that could be experienced in this life. There are eternal rewards motivating us hanging out in front of us that God is saying, do it, run this race, you won't regret it, there's going to be rewards for you. But there's not just eternal rewards. Right? There are these eternal rewards, but there's also immediate rewards that come in this life. Jesus even says that like if you if you abandon all else to follow me, you 're going to be rewarded in the next day and in this age and just to be clear, the rewards in this life is not health, wealth, and prosperity. I know there's a lot of guys on TV that want to say, hey, you know, pray to Jesus and, you know, give him money and then he'll reward you with health, wealth, and prosperity. Anybody who says that clearly hasn't gotten to the end of Hebrews 11 where it talks about some of these heroes of faith and it literally says that they were destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. Uh, Like that's how their story, that wasn't like the middle of the story, like that's how their story ended. So clearly health, wealth, and prosperity isn't the immediate rewards, but there are immediate rewards. And as you go through the stories of the lives of the people in Hebrews 11, you realize that the reward, the immediate reward for running this race was the experience of God's presence and power in their lives in real tangible ways. I remember the first time, uh, one of the first times I experienced this in my life. I was 17 years old, and I like, just kind of started taking my faith seriously. And at one point, I felt God just saying, hey, Trevor, I want your next paycheck, I was 17, it wasn't a lot of money, it was like 200 bucks. And, uh, and I'm like, that's weird. I never really kind of felt compelled by God to give money in that way before, but I'm like, all right, I'm gonna do it. And I needed that money because like at the end of the week was my girlfriend's prom and that was supposed to like buy my tux and all of that, but I'm like, I'm gonna try, I'm gonna see. God, you're telling me to do this, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try it. And so I did and on a Tuesday, I wrote a check to uh, Compassion International for $200 and on Wednesday, I received just over $200 from a couple of different streams, completely unrelated, out of the blue. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> what? It was like 24 hours late. Now, now, get this. I wasn't any richer for having given the $200. Uh, I gave $200. I got $200. Like, it wasn't about the money. But man, to see God show up in my life and say, I, I told you, I told you that I'm faithful to my promises, And man, there is nothing that closes the gap faster than actually experience the power and presence of God in your lives. And this is one of the rewards of running this race, to actually, to not just, you know, kind of hear these stories and read them, but to actually experience the presence and the power of God in our lives. But then, just before the author of Hebrews tells us to run, he gives us one more motivation. At the beginning of chapter 12, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So before he tells us to run, he says consider that we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. And the witnesses that he's talking to are the women and men of Hebrews 11. He's talking about this great cloud of people, women and men of faith, who have run this race well. And he's saying, doesn't that inspire you? Like reading these stories and seeing people accomplish these things, doesn't that inspire you? And you guys you guys know, you watch a movie, like an inspirational movie, and you have kind of pumped up a little bit, and you're like, yeah, that's inspiring. And, you know, maybe you've been watching the Olympics, and you see these people, and it's like, there is something inspiring. But also, as you watch it, you're like, it inspires awe. It doesn't inspire me to, like, go out and try to do gymnastics, because, like, I'm just, I'm not going to be them. But that's not, that's not the, the tone of the author of Hebrews. He's actually saying, look at these guys Look at these guys because you get to be one of these witnesses. He's trying to inspire you to be like them because the same thing that made them them is in you. It's the same spirit that was at work at them is in you. And he's saying you can be like them. And as you look at those stories, pour yourself into that. That you, you too can actually be a witness. All right? You could bear witness to the power and the presence of God in your life. like You can actually see it and experience it. it could be, you bear witness to yourself, but you could also bear witness to the, the world around you. You guys know that we are surrounded, millions of people around us, and most of them don't know Jesus. Most of them don't, not in a, in a real substantial way. And There are actually people in your circle for whom you are probably the only follower of Jesus that they know. Like, you might be it. You might be the only one who could bear witness to the power and the presence of Jesus. And, and our talk is great in learning how to share your faith and share the gospel. That's really, that's awesome. Do that. Like, we have classes on that. But at the same time, you know what's even more incredible is when they get to actually see the power and the, and the presence of God at work in your life and, like, hear the stories of how he's working. And when we are running this race, we get to bear witness, not just with our words, but with our lives, because God just shows up. He does stuff, all right? And don't, isn't this the kind of the, the witness that you want to kind of offer your kids? Like, wouldn't it be nice if your kids grew up watching God show up in their family? that they didn't just learn about God in Kids Quest. They actually saw him show up. They have stories of God's power on display in your life, right? And so when they get to the college and, you know, somebody says, oh, God is just, you know, made up and blah, 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 they find it laughable because, like, you can't tell me God was made up. I I grew up watching him show up in my family's life. Like, isn't this the kind of witness that you want to bear to your, your family and your friends around you? See, this is what he's saying. Let this motivate you to run this race because it's a hard race, but it's rewarding. And the witness that you get to bear to God's presence and power, it's worth it. so he then tells us what we need to do if we want to run this race. So he says, since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let us first throw off everything that hinders and the sin that's so easily entangled. So he says two things, everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. I want to, I want to start with the, the sin that so easily entangles because this is going to come as a shock to you, I know, but if there's like sin in your life, it's going to trip you up from running this race. I know, that's news, you didn't expect that, but of course, uh, we, we know that, but, but at the same time, at the same time. For some of you, this is, this is what you need to hear right now because you know that there's sin at your, in your life that's kind of unchecked and you, just, you, didn't, you don't want to deal with it. <laughs> it's hard. It's painful. And maybe there are things that you know people in your life have been telling you you need to get this in check and you've kind of been pushing it away, but you know it's there. Maybe you have issues of pride or arrogance or issues with the truth where you just kind of you have a tendency to bend the truth. Or maybe they're secrets and sins that you're hiding, and you know they're there because you're doing a lot to hide them. You're doing a lot to conceal them. Things like sexual sin, or, or maybe it's an addiction to pornography. And you, you know they're there, and you know these things are dragging you down. And you're trying to run this race, and you can barely limp along. And he's saying, throw them off. Throw them off. And by the way, I'm not, I'm not up here saying, like, trying to, like, talk down to you in any way when I, I talk about this. Because all of those examples that I just gave you were examples from my own life. Those were sins that were entangling me at one point in my life, and I had to throw them off. So I'm coming from a place of empathy when I say, throw it off. It's not worth holding on to it, and it's enslaving you, and there's freedom to be found by throwing it off, and you get to start running this race. But then there's this other category he says, throw off everything that hinders. And this one's a little more complicated because he already told us to throw off sin and everything else that hinders, which means there's all this this category of stuff that's going to hinder us from running the race that isn't sin. In fact, there are things that aren't, aren't just not bad. They're actually good things, good things, wholesome things that done in the right place in the right quantity. They're good things and yet they can be a hindrance to you running this race. And I, I know that you guys can know that and you understand that because I had so many conversations with you guys where you, you tell me and I, I believe you, you say, I, I really do wish, I wish I could do more. I wish I could serve more. I wish I could be more involved in my small group. I wish I could be in a small group. I, I wish I could spend more time reading God's word. I wish I could spend more time in prayer. I wish, I wish, I wish, but something's holding you back. There's a hindrance. There's something keeping you from doing what even you want to do, and I bet most of those things aren't bad things. They aren't sinful things, but they're hindrances, and they're dragging you down so you can't run the race that was marked out for you. And he says, throw them off too. And this gets, this gets even more complicated because these hindrances, these good hindrances, they're so much a part of our lives. We, we, they become so enmeshed in them that it actually feels like they're part of us. You can't just, like, set them aside. The, uh, the scholars, they, they point out that in the text where it says throw off everything that hinders, it uses this language of thro- putting off weights, taking weights off. And, and it could very well likely mean taking off, like, ankle weights and, you know, putting them aside, but it could also refer to body weight. And this is, this is something that I can uh, kind of connect with because I was, I was a wrestler uh, throughout my childhood. Uh, speaking of good things that can become a hindrance, oh my goodness, I... The way that, like, wrestling existed in my family was so dumb. Uh, like, we, the amount of hours and the kingdom resources and money that went into wrestling, guess what, guys? I won a lot. And nobody cares. <laughs> I mean, like, it, there are good times. There are good memories. Like, again, these are good things. But what a waste of time spent for the kingdom for a silly game, right? <laughs> But anyway, I, I get bad at some of what I'm talking. Ah, so I, I was a wrestler, and as a wrestler, I became really, really good at cutting weight. Like I could cut a lot of weight really, really quickly. But I don't care how good you are at cutting weight. Nobody could say, "Oh, I want to take off five pounds and just take off five pounds." Like, if, if you could figure that out, you'd be very, very rich, right? Uh, there's a lot of people probably in this room who'd want to have a conversation with you. But no, if, even if you want to take off a couple pounds, you have to, like, you have to come up with a plan. You have to strategize. You have to do stuff because you can't just take it off. You can't just set it aside. And, and it's the same way, even with our time. You know, each of us, we have 168 hours in a week, 168 hours. And to think like, oh, out of 168 hours, it's not hard to find like two or three hours to, I don't know, come and serve or to spend some time studying my Bible or praying. Like that doesn't seem so bad. Three out of 168, that's not an issue. But then you realize these aren't, these aren't individual buckets that you can just like take these three buckets. No, all of them are all connected, right? They're all enmeshed together and you can't just take a piece out and set it aside in the same way right? Imagine imagine you said, uh, oh, hey, I want to serve on the roadie team. Roadie team was really light today. These guys got here early, and they were working so hard, and you're like, I want to do that. It's only, what, two or three hours? I could pull that out of my 168. And then you realize, like, oh, but it's, it's at seven in the morning on a Sunday. I don't know, Sunday's my day to sleep in just a little bit, and I'm exhausted. And you are, and it's not because like you're weak or soft, you're genuinely exhausted. Like, you're, you're human, your body can't handle it. You are exhausted, because you just worked like a 70-hour week, and you commuted 15 hours on top of it, and so it, it, you... Sunday morning comes, you have nothing left to give, and, and it's not like you just say, like, go to your boss and be like, oh, you know, I'm going to not work 70 hours anymore, because of course, that amounts to quitting, and quitting your job isn't going to help, because, it, you know, if you're going to find any other job in your field that has the same salary, you're going to be working the same hours, it's just the way it is, right, and, and you can't, like, take a, 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 a demotion, you can't take a pay cut, because, of course, you have the mortgage, and the taxes and, and, you're already not saving as much as you feel like you should be saving, and so, and, and then, oh, okay, so maybe you can move, but you can't move, because even if you move, what good is it? Because all the homes in your community cost about the same amount, and so you're going to be in the same place with your mortgage and your taxes, and, well, okay, you move, but you can't move the, the school district. If you move to a cheaper house, you're going to go to a cheaper school district, and the schools aren't going to be as good for your kids, and then, and they're not going to be able to reach their potential, which means they aren't going to be able to get the education, to get the job, to be able to afford the house in the right school district to keep this race going. <laughs> but you see, all these things are connected. It's not so easy as just, you know, maybe, maybe for some of you it's like, oh, watch a little less TV and play less video games, and, like, you just carved out some time. But for most of us, our lives, our schedules are so enmeshed in our lives that we can't just take things off without rearranging, taking, like, a hard look at where we're going and what we're doing. And, and part of the problem is we all know, you know people who, they idolize their career. Like, they are career-driven. It's like they're obsessed with it, and that's not you. And you know people that are super materialistic, and they're always after new toys and new gadgets and new cars and blah, 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 and that's not you either. You know people that are just, they idolize their children, right? You know these people. Like, they make sure that their kids are in everything, and they have everything, and they don't miss any opportunity, and that's not you either. So we sit back and we say, I'm not, I'm not excessive. That's excessive. I know what excessive is. I'm just normal. But this is where the enemy is so crafty. Because he takes a certain level of excess and he makes it normal. See, uh, the New Testament is clear. He says that, that Satan has dominion over this world right now and we forget that and we we realize that sometimes we see like oh there's sin and debauchery but we don't think about all the other hindrances that satan normalizes in life so that massive amounts of the body of christ is sitting on the bench instead of running this race and he takes these excesses, he normalizes them to the point where he even, he makes it seem like it's expected, where if you don't do it, like, you're irresponsible for not engaging in these excesses, and, and they're not normal. Like, Lindsay and I were talking about this the other day, uh, since we moved to Long Island, we hear so much about school districts, but, like, I'm from the Hudson Valley, she's from Phoenix, and really. I don't do Long Islanders know that like the rest of the world doesn't function like this. Like we aren't so obsessed. Like it's normal here, but like that's not normal. People just live where they live, <laughs> or uh, careers. This is this is a funny one. Uh, do you know a career? Like even the idea of a career is a pretty novel idea, and it's pretty unique to like the Western world. Like throughout most of human history, people didn't have careers. They just had jobs. Like they went, they they found something to do with their hands to put bread on the table. But like this idea of a career, and it's nothing wrong with it, they're good things, but man, how quickly those things can become hindrances. Or or you take the the sports thing, you know, I was a sports family, and oh my goodness. And we say, oh, but you know, it's normal for kids to, to like, you know, be on these teams and for parents to spend hours and hours and hours a week driving to and from practices and games and everything like that. And we say, well, that's normal. And it's like, maybe. <laughs> I don't know if normal needs to be the, the mold that the church is trying to fit into. Because normal was based on a script written by the one who has dominion over this world, and he doesn't want you running this race. He wants us to get tripped up. Meanwhile, the author of Hebrews is saying, throw this stuff off. You don't need it. You don't need it. There's better rewards there's a better witness that comes if you throw it off and you run this race instead of limping along and it's hard, it's so hard, especially if you're already enmeshed in these things. That's why like, if you're, you're a teenager, you're a college student, you're like, a young adult and you're not like, established in your life, Don't buy into normal. (laughs) Resist it before you get entrenched in it. It's so much easier to not do all those things now than to try and and cut back on it. So please, just don't. It's not worth it. It's going to trip you up. You're not going to run the race. You're going to miss out on the rewards. You're going to miss out on the opportunity to bear witness to God's power and his presence in your life. I'm going to throw my remote there. Getting a little fired up here. (laughs) But if you are enmeshed in these things, entrenched in these things, it's not too late. You can, you can still throw them off. It's not going to be easy, but you can do it. It's going to require a plan. It's going to require action. If you're married, you're going to have to bring your spouse. You're going to have to have hard conversations with your spouse to say, what, what do we need to keep? What do we need to you know, rip out? If, you're, if you have kids, you're probably going to need to include your kids in the conversation at some point to say, hey, we know that this is something that you hold dear, but we don't think it's best for you or us to be able to run that direction when we could be running this race that God has marked out for us and, and it might go well, it might not I, I mean I remember being, I think I was 11 and my parents came and they sat, uh, all four of us kids down and they um, they were emotional and they started to repent to us and they, they said they were, they were convicted because they felt like they hadn't been leading our family to run this race marked out for us and They said they were going to make some changes in how we do family and all of that. and I don't remember a lot of the details. I was pretty young. I only remember one detail, uh, and it had to do with entertainment. We were no longer allowed to watch R-rated movies. You're thinking, weren't you 11? Were you watching R-rated movies? Hence the conversation. Uh, (laughs) but, But... I wasn't, like, happy about that conversation. Like, I was pretty disappointed by that new decision. I was disappointed a few years later when I couldn't go watch a movie with my friends and a few years later when I got in trouble for sneaking around my parents' back and got caught watching a movie I couldn't watch. Like, they had that hard conversation, and, and it was disappointing to me numerous times along the way. But, like, let's face it, 10-year-olds, 13-year-olds don't have great values. Uh, <laughs> so it sh- I should have been disappointed, and, and I can't tell you how grateful I am now to have had parents that were willing to disappoint a 10-year-old with his 10-year-old sensibilities so that they could run this race that God has marked out for them. And I'm so glad they didn't wait. They didn't put it off to the next season. They said, I'm going to do it now. I'm going to take action now. As many of you know, my my mom's... I practiced this so I wouldn't get emotional. My mom's race got cut short. Uh, She... uh, she went to church one Monday morning. She, at this point in her life, was working full-time for a missions organization, but she was volunteering at the church to help with the bookkeeping. And so she went in Monday morning, and she didn't make it. She was killed in an, uh, in an accident. Her race was cut short, and we, we were upset. But at the same time, there is nobody who knew her who said, you didn't finish your race. She ran hard when she could. And I got to bear witness to it. I got to bear witness to the power and the presence of God showing up in her life because she ran hard when she could. And, and I want to encourage you, and I was kind of going back and forth what I wanted to, to share here, but... I want you to know it's not too late. Wherever you are in this race, it's not too late to jump in on this race. And we have a number of people here in the church who they didn't even come to know Jesus until later in life. People like Mark and Jen and Chris and Tracy and Ed and, and these people are not only like not only do they know Jesus, but they're they're teaching, right? The author of Hebrews is like expected people to be teachers by now. They're they're in it. They're like leading ministries, they are running this race, and it didn't. They were able to start when they started. You can start. It's not too late for you to jump into this race. But also, as I remember my mom's story, it's going to be too late to jump into this race. Maybe soon. My mom was only 50. Robert's 50. That's not that old. (laughs) Not to scare you, Robert. Um, But... It's not too late for you to run this race, to jump in on this race. But a day is coming where it will be too late. Don't put it off. Don't say, oh, you know, this next season of life, that's when I'm going to run the race. Because first off, life never gets less busy. Like, can we be honest? Have you ever said, oh, now it's better? No. Uh, but secondly, we don't know. We don't know if that next season is coming. Run now. Run now. For the witness and for the rewards that God is holding out for you. And the author of Hebrews even closes with one more encouragement. Because he he says, and we looked at this last week, to fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And he says that he joyfully endured the cross. He took a seat at the right hand of the throne of God. And then he, he closes this whole section by saying... This Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. He's saying, hey guys, if you try to run this race, it, it's going to be wearisome. You're going to be tempted to lose heart, but consider him. Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus who endured the cross for you. He endured opposition from sinners for you. Not just, not just to save you, but to redeem you so that you could run this race so you could bear witness to his power and his presence, so you could experience the rewards in this life and the life to come. Consider him. God had put on my heart uh, a poem that captures this well, and I want to close by sharing it with you. I cannot decide to reside comfortably inside of my selfishness and pride, knowing my Savior died for me. He pleaded and he cried for me arrested, accused, and tried for me, stripped and whipped and tied for me, pierced hands and feet and sighed for me, crucified so I could be something more. I've been redeemed so I can restore. So with a heart full of contrition, I bow in submission, receiving this commission to this mission with the vision of hope and the decision to go. And I know it will be difficult, and to run and hide is typical, but my king died like a criminal spent three days in some liminal space in utter disgrace as the father turned his face away. And it hurt like hell. You know, he asked if his glass of God's wrath could pass him, but alas, the passion is the path dad was asking. And it doesn't make no easy sense. He followed in obedience so seedy men could be with them, redeemed from sin and freed again. And I know Satan, that infernal beast, will try to shake this internal peace but I will cling to grace and I will run the race and I will take my place at that eternal peace. If you enjoyed the sermon, want to learn more about Jesus or get to know our community, please visit beacon.church to get connected. We would love to hear from you.